So, my name is Mark. I am one of the pastors on staff here. We uh, are thrilled if you're visiting. Um, Love to have you uh, here with us. Thank you for being with us this morning. Pray that God does whatever he intends to do with you in our time together. We're in the book of Mark. Uh, We're finishing up chapter 4 this morning, uh, starting in verse 35 all the way to verse 41. So turn uh, with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 35. We're going to read that, and then I'm going to tell a story And then we're going to pray. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. You guys ready? I'm excited about this morning. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Imagine, saying this to Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Ouch. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want to preface this morning by saying... I always enjoy when a good word is spoken to me individually. There's obviously, there's always a place for that. But then there's a time when there's a good word for us, meaning a church. And I think that's this morning. And, and I've been kind of trying to build that theme a little bit, if you've noticed, over the last month, month and a half. God has a lot to say to us individually, but I think He has as much or more to say to us as a church. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. And we'll unpack that as we unwind our text this morning, okay? So, there's a story told by a captain of a ship on which a certain man named George Mueller of Bristol was traveling. During his lifetime, the Lord provided for George Mueller every step of the way. Everything for George Mueller came as an answer to prayer. Who's George Mueller? He was born in 1805 and died in 1898, 93 years old. He was a Christian evangelist and director of a place called Ashley Down Orphanage. And it was in Bristol, England. And in his lifetime, George Mueller cared for 10,024 orphans. Wow. He was well known for providing an education to the children under his care to the point where he was actually accused of raising the poor above their natural station in life. Ouch. What's cool about that is that's what God does with us. He also established 117 schools which offered Christian education to over 120,000 children, many of them, of course, being orphans. The captain had this to say. We had George Mueller of Bristol on our ship. I had been on the bridge for 24 hours and never left it. And George Mueller came up to me and said, Captain, I have come to tell you I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. It's impossible, I said. 
then very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room so we can pray. (laughs) I looked at that man of God and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum can that man have come from? For I've never heard of such a thing as this. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you not know or do you know how dense the fog is? Do you know how dense this fog is? No, Mr. Mueller replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He knelt down and prayed one of the most simple prayers I had ever heard. When he had finished, I, the captain, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to. Mueller says this, As you do not believe, he will answer. And as I believe, he already has. There's no need whatsoever for you to pray. Can you imagine? I looked at him, and George Mueller said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years. And there has never been a single day when I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door, and you will find that the fog has gone. I got up, says the captain, and the fog indeed was gone. And on that Saturday afternoon, George Mueller kept his promised appointment in Quebec. Wow. Isn't that an awesome story? Let's pray. Lord, what a special time this is. Every week we get to do this. To gather and hear from you. God, you have so much to say. Give us ears to hear. Have your way with us, your people, your church. Our lives are yours. They were bought with the price, and we thank you. Give us strength to trust you more and more. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We're going to discuss three things from those seven verses this morning, from verse 35 to verse 41. Those seven verses, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to look at the teaching, the teaching of our lesson this morning, the teaching of Jesus. We're going to look at the testing Right? When we get taught stuff, we need to be tested to see how we're learning, how well we're doing, right? The Lord loves us enough to test us to see if the teaching is making sense and penetrating our lives. And then, of course, we're going to look at the teacher. It makes sense if we're going to learn some teaching. It makes sense to know a little bit something about our teacher, what kind of credibility he has, etc. Okay? So those are the three things. So let's read our text again. We're going to read our text again, and then we're going to jump into the teaching of Jesus. Verse 35, on that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much so that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind indeed died down and became perfectly calm. And then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the teaching. Let's talk about the teaching. In verse 38, they referred to him, Right When Jesus was asleep, and they came to him in verse 38, in the middle of verse 38, they said to him, Teacher. They recognized him as one who was teaching them. We're only in Mark chapter 4. A lot's happened in the first three chapters. A lot's happened in chapter 4. But they call him teacher because that's indeed what he was. 
And we saw already Mark, in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, Jesus is teaching. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is teaching. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus is teaching. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching. Verse 35 opens with these three words. On that day. On that day. It causes me to reflect. Wow, what kind of a day was it? On that day when evening came. So we go back to Mark verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. That's where the day started. On that day. Let's take a look at that day. On that day, look in verse 1. He began to teach by the sea. And a crowd gathered around. In verse 2, and he was teaching them. Look at verse 9. And he was saying. Verse 11. And he was saying to them. Verse 13. And he said to them. Verse 21. And he was saying to them. Verse 24. And he was saying to them. Verse 26. And he was saying. Verse 30. And he said. Verse 33 and 34. With many such parables, he was speaking, teaching the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything to his disciples. That's on that day. Jesus, on that day, had a lot to say. And starting in verse 1 all the way up to verse 32, he he mentions four parables. So on that day, what did he talk about? Go back to verse 1. We have the parable of the sower and the soils, right? That's the first thing he had to say on that day. The parable of the four soils. And how well do we receive the word of God in our lives? What kind of soil do we represent? The three bad, unproductive soils or the one productive soil? How well do we receive God's word in our lives? When we don't, we're one of those three soils. And it's either Satan or our flesh or the world that gets in the way of God's word penetrating our hearts and our minds. And when we do, we produce fruit or crops 30, 60, and 100 fold, as it says in verse 20. Because we are to be fruitful. Scripture says that that Christ says, you shall know them by their fruit. We are known by our fruit. If there's no fruit, there's got to be doubt that we're really children of God. Because we are to be fruit-bearing people, as Matthew 7 tells us. So that's the first parable he tells them in verses 1 through 20. And then he gets into verse 21 through 25. And he tells the parable of the lamp and the measure. And part of being the good soil and producing 30, 60, and 100 fold is recognizing that we are lamps. And we went over that last week. Not to be hidden. Jesus said it two ways. You're not to be hidden, are you? Aren't you meant to be displayed? We're to let our light shine in such a way that people know we are His. And we're trusting God with all that he's gifted us with. And so to the measure that we listen to God's word and exercise his talents that he's entrusted with us, we shall increase them. That's the measure part of the lamp and measure parable. Because his gifts and his graces multiply as we exercise them. And conversely, in those verses 21 through 25, when we do not exercise the talents that God has entrusted us with, we shall lose what we have. Because, and I mentioned this last week and posted it on the screen, because to bury a talent is to betray a trust. When we bury our talents, when we don't let our lamp shine, when we we bury that talent, it's a betraying of a trust that God has given each and every one of us. If to any small degree God's given me a talent to preach, and I don't do that, I'm betraying God. May that not be.
the third. Then we jump to verses 26, 27, 28, and 29. It's the parable of the seed. And being good soil, as we already looked at, producing 30, 60, and 100 fold, and being a lamp unto the world as we exercise our talents, and helping then now in verses 26 to 29 to spread the seed of the gospel. And so we get into the, the, the parable of the seed, trusting the seed into the mighty hands of God, that as we just spread seed, God's the one that uh, causes it to grow. How, it says, we don't know. But we leave that to Him, so we do our part, and we let God do His part. We are to sow. God is to grow. We are to sow. God is to grow. And so we sow seed, and then we just trust it into the mighty hands of God. And so he follows up, Jesus does with that teaching parable. And then he goes into 30, uh, verse 30 to 32, the parable of the mustard seed. Taking comfort and gaining courage that God has done and will do great big things with very little resources. He builds his kingdom from a, from, from a, from a man that was hanging on a cross with very few followers. And then he does that with us. He does great big things with very little resources as he builds and advances his kingdom. Because if you go back to Mark chapter 1, it says, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. So he's encouraging us in the parable of the mustard seed to entrust our mustard seed talent into the mighty hands of God and giving him all the glory for what he decides to do with us and how he decides to grow us and cause us to be fruitful. Needless to say, that's a mouthful of parables. And Jesus just rattles them off four in a row. The disciples on that day were being taught quite a bit, weren't they? Perhaps you can remember, like me, when we first came to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was 15. At that moment, when you gave your life to Christ, did you not have a lot to learn about what it meant to follow Him? There's much to learn. These are brand new disciples. they got a lot to learn. Jesus has a lot to teach them. As the Lord had a lot to teach us when we first came to know Him, right? But what about now? Are you in that same place? Do you have that same hunger and thirst to sit under the teaching of Jesus? Do you know in verses in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 34, nobody else is talking but Jesus. And he was saying, and he was saying, and he was saying, and he was saying, and he said, and he was saying, and he was teaching, and he said, and he said, and he said. Hey, Jesus, back off, man. It's a lot of stuff to take in. Like the soils one's enough. Like, hey, let me chew on the four soils and all that stuff. I need some time. Jesus, go away. I'll you know, come back in an hour. i got to kind of process with the other guys. No one's talking in verses 1 through 34 except Jesus. And it's a lot. But I declare this, that we need that, don't we? We need that, don't we? We need that. We need prolonged periods of time listening to Jesus. What could be more important than that? What better investment of our time could there be than to sit and listen to the teaching of Jesus? Hearing God's Word. The church plant that my wife and I met at in college, Pastor Dieter, always said this. Every time you saw him, it made me crazy. What is Jesus teaching you? What is Jesus teaching me? I just saw you three days ago. Or he'd say, tell me about your walk. Tell me about your walk with Jesus. What is Jesus teaching you? That's a great question. Isn't that a great question? Should we not be able to ask each other, what is Jesus teaching you? He should be teaching you something. I can only imagine what must have been going through the heads of the disciples and his followers 
Is not just one of these parables enough to chew on? Is he trying to intimidate them or confuse them? Is he showing off? I have to believe that Jesus has more to teach us than we will ever learn this side of heaven. Jesus has more to teach us than we will ever learn this side of heaven. Does that encourage you or discourage you? It encourages me. I'm so thankful. It never gets old. It's always fresh. God always has something to say. And so we spend prolonged periods of time with Jesus because He has stuff He wants us to learn and to know because the kingdom of God is at hand and He shapes and He molds us with the things He wants to teach us. Look at it this way. I'm going to give you a real profound thought. This is profound, right? This is the most brilliant thing you're going to hear, you know, this week, right? So this is either the first day of the week or the last day of the week. So let's pretend. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Everything you now know at one time you did not know. Everything we now know at one time we didn't know. I don't know a lot about God's Word. Well, whatever you do know now you didn't know at one time, that's okay. Everything we now know at one time we did not know. Raise your hand if you know something now that you didn't know before. No, you're not supposed to raise your hand. I must have asked the question wrong. Right? Everything we now know at one time we did not know. Let's just leave it at that. I messed that up. So, in verse 34, what's cool is Jesus teaches and he teaches and he teaches and he's hitting him with parable after parable after parable. It's like going from first period to second period to third period to fourth period. It's like, ah, enough, Jesus. But in verse 34 of Mark chapter 4, it says he was explaining everything to them. And that word explaining we talked about last week uh, means that he keeps on explaining, and he keeps on explaining, and he keeps on explaining. And so he keeps on teaching, he keeps on teaching, and then he explains and he explains, and that's just kind of the way it is, right? We learn and we question and we wonder, and he explains, and we learn and we question and we wonder, and he explains, and, and on and on that cycle goes. So here's the question for us then. If Jesus is always teaching, and if he's always explaining, how well do we handle the process of learning? How well do we handle the process of learning? Do you put yourself in a position to learn? Because Jesus is always in a position to teach. He's always in a position to explain. Are you in a position to learn? Do we go frustrated? I grow frustrated sometimes. Does it get hard at times? Of course it does. Do you, like me, just want to get to the place where I finally got it all figured out. I got the Bible dialed in. I know how God works. This, this is nice, man. No. Proverbs 9.9. 9. Great Proverbs. It's a wisdom book, right? Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase his learning. When is it good to learn? All the time from Jesus. He's constantly teaching are we constantly learning? So that's the teaching. Now we're going to talk about the testing, right? So Jesus has spent a lot of time with these disciples so far, or sometime at least, right? And so now he's got to test them to see. They pass? Do they fail? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. He's building a church, right? He's trying to save the world through his son, Jesus Christ. So he's got to make sure the people he's poured into are getting it. Can you imagine if you only got to stick around at church based on whether you passed or failed a test? That'd be a little rough, sounds like, right? That's not a grace-filled church, but on some level, Jesus needs to make sure that his people are getting it. Because he's only got a three-year public ministry, right? So check this out. In verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening came, what did he say to them? 
let us go over to the other side. Matthew says it differently, a little bit harder, if you will. When Jesus saw a crowd, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. So his disciples are just following orders. Jesus said, let's go to the other side, and so they go. This is kind of a trick question. Pay attention. When Jesus says, let us go over to the other side, what percentage of probability do you think exists that they'll make it to the other side? Jesus said, let's go to the other side. What percentage of probability do you think that they'll make it to the other side? 100%. Thanks for risking 100%. Interesting. Listen, church. Jesus wants us to combat, to fight the things that we see, right? The things that we see, the things that we experience. We have to combat those things by his word, by the things that we hear. The things that we see. We're in combat with the things that we see compared to the things that we hear. We have to combat those things with the Word of God, the things that we hear to be true. When Jesus says, let's go to the other side, you're getting to the other side. There's just no doubt about it. Mike, Tanya, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. You're going to the other side. You don't have to worry if that's going to happen or not. It's going to happen. It's a good question for us to ask is this. Why do teachers teach? Why do teachers teach? A, to pump us with information. Yes or no? Do this. Not to pump us with information. Or B, to prepare us for implementation. Do this. Right? It's not to pump us with information. It's to prepare us for implementation. Right? We have a lot of teachers in this church. And if you're teaching well, it's to prepare them to implement. And if they're not implementing well, then there's something wrong in the teaching mechanism, right? Or with the learner. Something's got to shift. Of course, Jesus is perfect, so if it's not going well, it's probably on our laps, right? We know that. Last week, we talked about biblical hearing. To hear biblically, to listen to God's Word, means to hear audibly with understanding in our hearts and our minds to get what we're hearing and then to act accordingly. If we don't act accordingly, what good is it? I hear it. I understand it. Ain't doing it. There's a breakdown there somewhere. So the Lord has to test that in us, doesn't he? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. He's building his church. He wants us to cast seed. He wants us to be a lamp. He wants us to be 30, 60, and 100-fold productive. If to biblically hear means to hear with understanding and act accordingly, does the Lord, I'll say this twice, does the Lord not have the right, the need, and the know-how, the right, the need, and the know-how to teach us in such a way that will ensure our success for implementation? Let me say it again. Does the Lord not have the right, He's Lord, He's Master, the need, because his kingdom is at hand, and the know-how, because he's perfect and brilliant, to teach us in such a way that will ensure our success for the implementation of his kingdom. Of course he does. Look at James chapter 1. It's tucked in after Hebrews in the New Testament to your right. Look at James chapter 1, after the book of Hebrews. Great, great verses. Verses 2 through 4, we love to quote to other people. Verses 2 through 4, we hate other people quoting to us. 
right? We're really good at that, right? So let's read those verses. Ah, consider it a joy, we love to say to people, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, and this is what we, that Jesus is testing us, right? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces endurance. And let, that's the key, we have to let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If you are not currently perfect and complete, just ask the Lord for some trials. He can help. If your spouse isn't the spouse you want, just pray trials on their life. It's kind of a joke, right? It's interesting that trials are what shape us and form us if we let God do, and that's what that verse says, let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God doesn't want us to lack for anything. And so trials serve, testing serves a part in how God shapes us. It's beautiful. It's hard, but it's beautiful. Verses 21 through 25. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, right? That stuff gets in the way. In humility, we have to humble ourselves and receive God's word, which is able to save our souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not just hearers, and not merely hearers who are delusional, who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, God's word, the law of liberty, Christ came to set us free and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. By those trials, by being a doer, by hearing and implementing God blesses what we do, and we lack nothing. Imagine waking up every day knowing that you're blessed in what you do, and you lack nothing. We can live like that. doesn't mean life doesn't get hard at times, but it means you can go through life lacking nothing and having the things that you partake in be a blessing in God's eyes, in God's way. It's powerful, and many of us long for that. At this point... At this point, go back to Mark chapter 4. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 3. And I've referenced this before. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. We see Jesus, right? His kingdom is at hand in chapter 1. And so he calls, he goes to the mountain to pray, and he, and he calls, he summoned the disciples in verse 13. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him to learn while he teaches. And then so that he could send them out to preach. This is what's happening in our text. This is where we're at in Mark, in the book of Mark. Jesus' public ministry was only going to last three years. His time was short. He had to pour into some people. He models to us through these 12 men how things will be moving forward. We need to spend time with Jesus, just like they did, to hear from him, to wrestle in our understanding of what he is teaching, and then, of course, to act accordingly. Our mission is so critical. Our mission is critical. Jesus is spending time with men because the mission is critical, and so he has to test that, doesn't he? 
our mission is so critical that it makes sense that the Lord would test us in regards to what He has called us to do. Makes sense, right? To assess and to make corrections accordingly. To assess where we're at and say, well, you scored well in this area, you're kind of lacking in this area, we need to really overhaul this area. And that's how the Lord helps us figure that stuff out. Because we all have it. We all have our stuff. The hearing of God's Word is intended to produce faith. The hearing of God's Word is intended to to produce faith. When Jesus says, let's go over to the other side, it's intended to produce faith. And that's what Romans 10, 17 says. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the Word of God. God is interested in producing faith in us, not facts, not F-A-C-T-S, not those, not facts. He doesn't want to increase our facts. He wants to increase our faith. There was the parable of the mustard seed in chapter 4, and it was referencing the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? There's only one other reference. There's two total references, so that's one of them, in referencing the mustard seed, right? The kingdom of God, and what's the other one? Does anybody know? The mustard seed represents the kingdom of God, and there's one other reference in Scripture. Our faith. Look at Matthew 17. It's also in Luke 17. Matthew 17 says, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus could do so much with so little. He can do so much with so little. And so Jesus wants us to have this thing called faith, even the size of a mustard seed. Here's another trick question. (laughs) Did Jesus know that storm was coming before they took off in the boat? Did Jesus know the storm? Of course He did. Of course He did. It was part of the day's curriculum. Pretty funny. It was part of the day's curriculum. I think it's funny. That must have been right on that day, and He hits them with the soils. Then he hits them with the, the, the lamp and the measure. Then he hits them with the seed caster. Then he hits them with the, uh, the parable of the mustard seed, right? And then it's evening. They get in the boat. Jesus goes into the stern, and he's asleep. And I think the disciples are like, Whoo-hoo, finally, sleepy Jesus is here, right? Like, we got sleepy Jesus in the stern. What a long day. You guys want to try to unpack all these uh, uh, parables? Like, this is crazy, right? Like, no, I don't want to talk about nothing, man. I just want to get in the boat. I want to go. I don't want to talk to Jesus. I don't want to learn any more from Jesus. Leave sleepy Jesus alone. This has been a long day for us. And that's the way it is sometimes, right? God teaches and He teaches and He teaches. And we go, oh, I get sleepy Jesus now. This is awesome. I can chill. Oh, and then the storm comes. And oh, now, now I need sleepy Jesus. It's interesting. It's interesting. Like, oh, right? Like, when is this day going to end, man? He knew the storm was coming. It was part of the day's curriculum. Because the lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples is that he can be trusted in everything and anything. In all the storms of life, Jesus wants us to know that he can be trusted. Don't believe for a minute that the storms of life only come because of disobedience. And that's what Job was, you know, his friends were confused. You must have done something wrong, Job. Nope. Didn't. No way did Job sin. And so we have trials. Might be because of disobedience. Might not be because of disobedience. There were three good reasons why these men should not have been disturbed or worried. 
even though the situation appeared to be threatening, appeared to be. First, they had his promise that they were going to get to the other side, didn't they? They had his promise. When Jesus says, hey, Rock Community Church, we're going to go to the other side. We're going to get there. When Jesus says, Mike and Tanya, I'm taking you to the other side, he'll take you there. They had the promise that they were going to the other side because his commandments are always his enablements. His commandments are always his enablements. He doesn't command us to do anything that he won't enable us to get done. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. He's not going to ask us to do anything that he won't enable us to get done. Nothing can hinder the working out of his plans. Nothing is going to prevent those guys from getting to the other side because he said, let's go to the other side. He did not, I'll, I'll grant you that, he did not promise an easy trip, did he? He didn't promise an easy trip, but he promised a guaranteed arrival. Second, another reason why they shouldn't have worried, if you will, the Lord was with them. Sleepy Jesus is in the stern, man. We're good. We got Jesus with us. Like, isn't that enough? That should be enough. What's there to fear? They had seen his power in his miracles. Jesus, as we learn, is the master of every situation, every one. Third, and finally, they could see that Jesus was perfectly at peace, even in the midst of a storm. Nothing throws him off. Nothing throws him off his game. Jesus has got it. That fact alone should have encouraged him. How often in the trials of life, you and I are prone to imitate the faithless disciples and cry out, Lord, don't, don't you care? That's what they asked. Lord, don't you care? Of course he cares. Of course he cares. Jesus cares. I remember hearing this years ago. You know, you know, somebody asked Jesus how much you care, and he stretched out his hands, right? You remember this? This much, and then he died. And I just care as much as I can. I, I care. Jesus cares for us. He cares so much that he died for us. Jesus cared so much, so much so that he knew that the greatest danger was not in the wind or the waves. It was the unbelief in their hearts. He cared that much to point that out to them. Not the wind and the waves. That's not the real issue. The greatest danger is unbelief in our hearts. Our greatest problems are within us, not around us. Our greatest problems are within us, not around us. Our greatest problems exist within us, not around us. That was the test. We've got to wrap this up with the teacher. In verse 41 it says, They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's the same thing that was asked in Mark chapter 1, verse 27, when, when he was casting out demons. And he says, We've never seen anything like this before. Who is this? It makes sense to me that if we can gain a better understanding of who the teacher is, who Jesus is, we may also increase our probability of learning better. When we learn we can trust Him, that He's teaching us from a place that He's been, that everything we've had to endure or ever will face, that Jesus has experienced as much or more. So it gives Him credibility in our lives so we can sit under His teaching and trust everything that comes out of His mouth because He's lived a life just like us. 
perhaps trials and testing lend themselves to that very purpose. Two things. To increase our understanding of God and who He is and how He works as we turn to Him, we learn. And then to mold us and shape us in order that we can be of better service in His kingdom. This storm must have been especially fierce if it frightened experienced fishermen like some of the disciples were. They knew He had authority to forgive sins, authority to cast out demons, authority to heal diseases, but now they discover that He even had authority over the wind and the sea. And this meant for them and means for us that we have no reason ever again to be afraid because our Lord is in constant control of every situation. And so when we're experiencing fear, it's not from Him. And we need to repent of that. Would it make sense to you that almost every time I preach, I experience a little fear? What am I doing? You've got to be kidding me. And then I repent of it. Almost every time. So I, do, I have to do that three times a week, and it's starting to kill me. Just kidding. It's interesting, right? And I just get this fear, whatever that is that comes up for me. And then I, rep- I just immediately repent. It's not from the Lord, man. We're not meant to fear those things. God's in constant control of every situation. Two things to wrap this up. Look in verse 37. It says, There arose a fierce gale of wind. Focus on that word fierce. Mark it, write it down, whatever. Fierce gale of wind. Look in verse 39. He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Perfectly is the key word. We got fierce and we have perfectly. And then in verse 41, they were afraid and said one, they became very much afraid. They became very much afraid. Very much is one word. Fierce, perfectly, and very much are the exact same word in the Greek language. Fierce, perfectly and very much are the exact same word. And the word is megas, M-E-G-A-S. And it means remarkable or out of the ordinary. What kind of storm was there? A remarkable and out of the ordinary storm. What kind of calm did the Lord bring? It was perfectly calm. It was remarkably and out of the ordinary calm. Hmm. And they looked at him and they saw him as being a remarkable and out of the ordinary man. That's just our lives, isn't it? Especially because Jesus is trying to build his church. He's taken his disciples, and he wants to expand the work that he's doing, and he wants to get to the other side. And sure, there's going to be some challenges. That's just what the enemy is going to do. We can sit in a corner and grow in Jesus, but when we want to go to the other side, that's probably when we're going to experience the storms of life, when Jesus progresses us and wants to take us to the other side. So I just think it's interesting. I think that's a perfect picture of our life. We experience these remarkable and out-of-the-ordinary kind of storms. And God gives us a remarkable and out-of-the-ordinary calm in the midst of that storm because He wants us to focus on Him as being a remarkable and out-of-the-ordinary God. Mm. I love that. And lastly, if you want, turn to Mark 1, verse 15. When Jesus comes on the scene, He says, in verse 15, chapter 1, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. First words out of his mouth. We're building a kingdom, people. And in verse 17, then he says after that, follow me. So God says the kingdom of God is at hand. Follow me. Rock Community Church, follow me. Richard and Marcia, follow me. The kingdom of God is at hand. Follow me. 
And then as we already read in chapter 3, when he chooses the 12 and he says, I'm going to spend time with you so I can send you. And I just think sometimes we forget about the big picture, the church. We make our walk with Jesus about our personal walk with Jesus. God called a people so that people can represent him to other people. He called the church. He called the nation. And I think sometimes we get really personal in our Christianity. And it's about my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a place for that. Surely, clearly there is. It's a big part. I get it. But I think we can lose sight of the bigger picture. And that's what just seems to be jumping out at me as I go through, Mark, the kingdom mindset of our Savior. And that's what he's teaching his disciples. I would say it this way. We are the church. And we're also individuals. I think too often we say, we are individuals and also the church. Make sense? You know what I'm saying? I think we need to recognize that we are the church. Yes, we're also individuals, but we are the church. And how we do this is so important. So important. Remember when Jesus said, all men, all nations will know that you are my disciples. How? By the love we have one for another. How we do church is important in advancing his kingdom. It's how the world knows that we're the church. It's how the world, it's how we prove our discipleship. We make sometimes too much of our personal walk with Jesus. I think that's important, of course. But I think we can lose sight of the bigger picture. Yeah? Let me pray. When I'm done praying, our prayer team will be available here in the corner if you need prayer. Um, if you can make it to Party in the Park, I'll see you there. I'm going to have a cross on one of my cheeks, maybe two. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for challenging us. But thank you, Lord, that you don't challenge us to anything that you don't enable us to accomplish. Lord, we pray that as you have had, as you have had your hand upon this church, that you would continue to do so even more. Lord, fill us with courage to trust you in all aspects of our lives. Lord, when you call us to the other side, may that be the thing that drives us because we heard you call us to the other side. And you will be with us every step of the way. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.